Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Thursday, December the 8th, 2022, and I am delighted to be with you this morning. It is 7 a.m., and I can actually see a little bit of clear sky out there, but you know, the old rhyme about red sky at morning, I don't know what today is going to hold, but it's beautiful. Um, such a beautiful sunrise out there right now. Anyway, it is wonderful to be with you all, and I hope that your week has gone very well and that you have good plans for this coming weekend. Let me invite you, if you are local to us, to come and worship with us at Old Providence. It will be the third week of Advent this week for us, and some churches do the Advent thing, some churches don't. We do. Um, we've got lots of different activities going on. As a matter of fact, a week from last night, actually, um, we're going to be having our Christmas dinner, and that will be on Wednesday, December the 14th, and then not this coming Sunday night. Okay, it's not this coming Sunday night. Next Sunday, the 18th, we're going to have our Christmas program and cantata and candlelight service and all sorts of wonderful things going on. But if you want information on that, you can look on our website. Um, feel free to reach out and I'd be happy to share that with you. But I personally, I want to invite you. Um, if you are in our area, to come and celebrate with us. Now, um, to our passage. It's great to be back with you this morning. Yesterday, we actually finished chapter 15. We're cracking open chapter 16, and we see that it is somewhat of a continuation from where we were yesterday. Now, yesterday, what we focused on was Jesus' teachings about what the world really is and how the world really functions, and that very basic logical progression that no servant is greater than his master. In other words, if you're following your master, you're going to be doing the same things that your master did, and if they hate your master, they're going to hate you too, right? And then he goes on to talk about the guilt that they face as a result of both hating him and hating you, um, because no one has an excuse to reject or, or to deny God because our Savior has come. Um, but he continues along by giving also this promise. He says, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. But then, as we saw yesterday at the end, he says, when the counselor comes, who I will send to you from the Father— the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now, that last little line, you have been with me from the beginning, obviously he is talking to his disciples here. Remember, it's this in this section that he is spending this time with his disciples, and so, you know, don't, don't fall into this where you say, oh, well, he's just talking to his disciples. This is only for them. Well, that statement, you've been with me from the beginning, he's talking about his earthly ministry. However, the principle applies to you and me today. What do we do in light of the world hating us for following Christ? First off, you have to examine if you're really following Christ, because if the world doesn't have any problem with you, it's probably because you don't look anything like Jesus. And I say that to myself as well. That's one of the problems in the United States. What Christianity has become looks so foreign from who Jesus actually was that a lot of people don't have a problem with the church. And that is a major problem. Christians shouldn't be odd. Understand this, all right? This is a principle to abide by. Christians should be different, but not odd. I'll say that again. Christians should be different, but not odd. Now, 
Certainly this, uh, if you're going to unpack that statement, it comes down to how I use the word odd and different, right? And different people use it different ways. But the point is this, y'all, by virtue of following Jesus, our life's testimony should be different than that of the world around us. When people look at the church, they ought to see a code of conduct and behavior that is not present in the world around us. They ought to see a love that is not present in the world around us. They ought to see a commitment to truth that is not present in the world around us. Different. That's what we should be. But at the same time, we shouldn't be needlessly odd, right? We shouldn't embrace these countercultural ideas just so we can feel like we're different. Look, if you want to be different, just do the things that Jesus said. That'll make you different enough. And in many people's eyes, it might make you odd. But that's not what we're called to be. I don't know any other term for it. I use it all the time. Maybe somebody else can. But there's so much hipster Christianity out there. Oh, my goodness. Hipster Christianity that leads people to... I don't even understand how they get there, except for denying a lot of God's word. But sometimes it leads people to embrace the dietary laws from the Old Testament. And then they start celebrating the feast. Y'all, there's a whole lot of Gentiles out there acting like Jews. Okay. And for no good reason. Um, sometimes it's because they think they'll get to some higher spiritual plane if they don't eat bacon or shrimp and you know, as Ron Swanson said, bacon and bacon wrapped shrimp. That's my number one food wrapped around my number three food. Right. He, he said he would go to a dinner honoring Somali pirates if they serve bacon wrapped shrimp. Yeah. But in Jewish dietary laws, you can't have either. And so Christians are, are embracing these countercultural ideas that don't really have anything to do with Christianity. It just makes people odd. Right. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be like Jesus. And if you recall, one of the accusations for Jesus was that he was a glutton and that he was a drunk because he was actually in the world. He wasn't of the world, but he was in it. He engaged the world around him and was not purposefully odd. Okay. To that end, these words from Jesus, when the counselor comes, whom I will send, this is verse the chapter 15, verse 26. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you must testify. You must also testify. Y'all, that's the calling that we have, to testify. In order to testify, we must be engaged in the world around us, okay? And that doesn't mean being odd hipsters. That means being present. It doesn't mean embracing the ways of the world. It's being in the world, not of the world. You dig? That's what Jesus says, and that's what we ended with yesterday. But now, as we go into chapter 16, Jesus is going to get really, really real with the disciples here, right? He's going to tell them things that are specific to them, but that apply to us as well. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into chapter 16. Our Father, as we come to your word, help us to understand, help us to heed the warning, and to live in light of this calling that we have received. Uh, Father, we, as your son in this passage talks about the counselor, the Holy Spirit, let us be guided by your Holy Spirit. Let us rely on you for direction, for purpose, 
for meaning, not the secondary things of, of, of quasi-Christianity. Instead, let us commit ourselves anew to following you. So please, as always, that starts with your word. It doesn't start with the convicted. It starts with your word. So let us be people of your word. Let us understand your word. And we'll only do that by your Holy Spirit. So please guide us now. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, Jesus, again, gets really, really real. He says, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. Now, pause. Time out. What is the all this? Well, is he referring to the bulk of his ministry? Um, is he referring to this specific time with his disciples that really started all the way back at the beginning of chapter 13? Is he talking about this teaching that he's been given? That's my opinion. I, I, I Definitely the, all this encompasses his whole ministry. But if you recall, back in chapter 13, verse 1, now we're in 16, at the beginning of chapter 13, you see Jesus washing his disciples' feet, you see Communion Institute, you see all of these different things happening right then, right there. And he's been teaching them all of these wonderful things, things about what it means to love one another, things about what it means to abide in him, you know, how he's the vine, we're the branches, if we're cut off. He teaches about how he's the only way to the Father. He promises the Holy Spirit. And just recently, He's told them about the nature of the world in which we live and how the world hates those who follow him. And so with all of those particular teachings in time and space that he's been offering just now, we come to this statement, all of this, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. This ought to lead us to a conclusion. If Jesus says, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray, it ought to help us recognize that when the world does hate us, when we do face difficulty, when we consider how much we need to rely on the Lord, if Jesus says, all this I've told you so that you will not go astray, it ought to tell us that we will be tempted to go astray. This ought to be a warning, warning sign coming from Jesus that this life that we lead as one of his followers, the hatred that we face, one of our temptations will be to just hang it up and say, no thanks. You know, it wouldn't be too long after this that the book of Hebrews would be written to a group of people that had been Jews and became Christians and persecution came upon them. The exact thing that Jesus promised here happened to the people that the book of Hebrews was written to, okay? Those Hebrew Christians, they underwent intense persecution. Um, and by the way, I'll, I'll talk more about that in a second, but they were simply tempted to say, you know, um, we were Jews, imagine this, we were Jews and everything was okay. <laughs> we didn't face any problems then. And it's true because by this time, Judaism was an accepted religion of the Roman Empire. The Jewish leaders bent the knee to Rome. They paid their tribute. They were allowed to exist like any other number of religions that was present in the Roman Empire. Remember, Rome didn't come in and simply destroy everything and say, your religion, now you're only going to worship Caesar, all this kind of stuff. No, 
They didn't do that. Rome would come in and conquer a city, but they didn't destroy everyone in the nation because the nation would then go on to serve the Roman Empire, right? And Rome would allow you to, to keep your religion as long as you recognized Caesar as a god, right? As long as you bent the knee to Caesar, as long as you paid your tribute to Rome, and the Jews did that. Right. Remember, it wouldn't be too long after this that when Pilate said, behold, the king of the Jews, they responded, we have no king but Caesar. Right. They recognized Caesar without a doubt. Um, but nevertheless, the Jews had no issues. So these Christians who faced persecution said, why don't we just go back to being regular Jews? Let's just forget about Jesus. They were tempted to abandon him when the persecution came. Such was the case for the disciples, and y'all, such will be the case for us should real persecution come. You know, on that subject, we've seen glimpses of it, right? There are hints of persecution that are present in the United States. Certainly some of the legal things that are going on, you know, the, the, the bakery out in Colorado forced to bake the cake for the homosexual couple, all these different things going on. But nevertheless, guys, in terms of the persecution that we see elsewhere in the world today, right now, um, in China, for instance, churches are being shut down left and right. Christians are being taken to concentration camps and they're kept alive in order to harvest their organs. Yeah, they're, they're living human transplants and then their organs are sold. In India, Christians are being beaten to death by radical Hindus every day. So much so that it's, it's hard to even know how many Christians are in India because they're being so persecuted. Muslim Africa, goodness, y'all, you've seen some of it. Well, actually, you haven't seen much of it because, you know, we're too busy reporting on Kim Kardashian having heartburn and, you know, the latest thing that Elon Musk is going to sell that's never going to exist, but we're too busy focused on those things to realize the intense amount of murder that is taking place around the world when Christians are being killed just for following Jesus. That persecution is foreign to us, literally and figuratively, okay? But should that persecution come, we will be tempted to fall away. That's why Jesus says, all this I've told you, so that you will not go astray. And then he gets really specific with the disciples here. And this is a glimpse into what was going on with the Christians in the book of Hebrews, with what would happen as Christianity developed, right? He said in verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone uh, who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. Is this a prophecy for the apostle Paul? First Saul, then Paul? I don't know. But certainly it applies to that. Remember, one of the greatest persecutors of the early church was Saul of Tarsus. And he really did believe he was doing a service to God for going and hunting down Christians. The beauty of the gospel I saw recently, I don't want to say this wrong, but the beauty of the gospel is that when Paul entered heaven, he did so to the cheers of those he martyred. That's what Christianity is. That's how Christianity works. But Jesus said here, there's going to be a time where when people kill you, they think that they will be doing a service to God. 
Guys, here's a reality check. A lot of times when we think about persecution for the early church, our minds immediately go to Rome. Now, I'm not trying to discredit Roman persecution. Please understand me. Under Diocletian, under, under uh, Nero, horrible, horrible persecution for Christians. One of the most powerful things I've seen um, in, in all of my travels, and y'all know I've been all over the world, but when you go to the Colosseum, the Grand Colosseum in Rome, right, where the, 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 the original Colosseum in Rome, where all the gladiator fights took place, y'all, we think about gladiators and the movie Gladiator, but most of the time, it was innocent Christians that were torn to pieces by lions. People would just gather to watch people being eaten alive. That's how far their society went down. And no, I'm not going to comment on the state of reality television in the United States now. But nevertheless, that's what the Colosseum was for, really. Or you saw gladiators hack Christians to pieces because they wouldn't defend themselves. They'd just die right there. One of the most powerful things I've ever seen <clears throat> when you go to the Colosseum in Rome, and if you ever get to Rome, I would highly recommend it. You go on the tour. You got to take a tour. They just don't let you in. But when you're touring the Colosseum, they take you to the emperor, the, to the emperor's box, right, where, where the emperor would have been. And instead of a mighty throne there, there's a cross, right? And, 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 it, it, and it shows the triumph of Christ over the barbarism of the Roman Empire. And yes, it's connected to Catholicism and all that kind of stuff, but it is a beautiful thing. However, so many Christians were killed by Rome. But recognize that that's not where persecution began. If you want to know where persecution of Christians started, it started with the Jews. And I know, y'all, I know that that is the most foreign concept than some people could ever imagine. Because most of the time, when you think about persecution and Jews, they're on the receiving end of things. Even in the Bible, we see that, right? With Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and, and the book of Judges. And it's usually the Jews that horrible things happen to. However, in the early church, it was the Jews that went after the Christians first. Saul of Tarsus, anyone? Right? The Jews wanted to stamp out Christianity, and they had all these clever ways of doing it. And, and, and this idea of throwing somebody out of the synagogue. Don't read that like, oh, well, you know, I get thrown out of the synagogue. So you know, I got thrown out of Reedy Branch Synagogue or Victory Synagogue, or maybe it was one of those hip um, new synagogues with the single word. You know, do you ever see these single word church names like Revive or I don't know, Renew or you know, it's all these edgy names for these new churches out there. But maybe it was I got kicked out of Renew Synagogue, so I'll have to go to the first synagogue bar and grill down the way. Now, if you got kicked out of any synagogue, you were done in Jewish society. That meant that you were crippled. Okay, it meant that you were crippled economically. You were crippled socially. If you got thrown out of the synagogue, you were out of society. You couldn't do business. You couldn't interact with other people. To be thrown out of the synagogue was a disaster. Remember when Jesus healed the man that was born blind, right? And his parents were really, really frightened um, because they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. It's because they knew their lives would be over. That's what Jesus promises here. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. That's what they did. 
but persecution ramped up significantly. Y'all think about it. This is an area of the world where it's still better to die than be dishonored. A lot of times Christians were killed by their own families before the state ever had anything to do with it. All is a matter of honor. And as Jesus said here, there's going to be a time when anyone who kills you thinks he'll be doing a service to God. Now, he says why these things are the case. Why is it the case with the world today when Christians are persecuted? If we are persecuted, what will be the source? Verse 3, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now, guys, there, this whole statement about I did not tell you this first because I was with you, this is specifically for the disciples, okay? However, all of what Jesus has said applies to all of his people in principle. When we are persecuted, we don't need to wonder why. When people try to go on the attack against the church, we don't need to scratch our heads and say, I wonder what's happened. As you look at what's going on today in the United States with the church, do not, do not scratch your head and try to figure out, I wonder what people's problem is. You know what people's problem is. Jesus says it right here. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Period. The end. That's the whole issue. And so, wrapping things up, if that's the issue, what's the solution? You wonder what the solution of persecution is? There's only one. Well, two. Jesus coming back, right? That's the first solution, the best solution, in my opinion, because you know, there's nothing wrong that Jesus won't make right. But going along with that, Jesus is not going to come back until everybody who's supposed to know him knows him. Until the full number has been saved that are going to be saved. All those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, when the last person who is to be saved becomes saved, that's when Jesus is coming back. If the problem with the world is, is that they hate us because they don't know God or Jesus, then the only way to get them to stop hating us is not for us to change our beliefs. It's not for us to change the content of what we do. It's not for us to capitulate to the world. It's not for us to look just like the world. Because if we do all that, then we got nothing left. We've got to maintain our message. We've got to uphold God's word. We've got to tell people the truth or we don't love them at all. If we don't tell people the truth, if we don't abide by the word of God, then we're not Christians. And so the only way for the world to stop hating us is for the world to become Christian. That's it. That's the only remedy. It won't be through Supreme Court justices. It won't be through electing the right people, all that kind of stuff. All that is is a temporary stay. And no, I'm not saying that that stuff isn't important. It is of vast importance, okay? So don't put words in my mouth. Vote, do all those things. But y'all, the ultimate answer to the world's problems really is Jesus. Everything else is temporary. Jesus is the only one who can change minds, who can take hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh. It must be through Jesus. If you know him, 
Remember what he said, verse 27 of chapter 15, and you also must testify. If you don't know him, turn to him today. If you want to talk, get in touch with me and we'll do that. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray that we would be mindful, ever mindful, of why the world works as it does, that it's because we know and love you. And Father, if we never face opposition from the world, let us examine how we're living. Let us examine what our lives really look like. For those that do not know you, please work in their hearts now and draw them to yourself. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And then again on Monday at 7 a.m. I see we've got, um, there's Becky, good morning, and Rose, and the other Becky. And I see Christine, and Alice, and Roberta, and then there's Elizabeth. Thank you all so much for commenting. I know that many more are watching, um, and uh, I'm grateful for all of you. Again, thank you for being a part of this time with me. Lord willing, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for our service, then Monday morning at 7. Until then, have a great weekend and make sure that being a part of a Bible-believing church is part of your weekend. Take care.